the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Sam Robson with you. And Sam, once again on a J1 match day, we had some inclement weather on Saturday. Um, yeah, especially in the Kanto area, but that didn't get in the way of the action on the pitch. Uh, to say it was an action-packed J1 match day eight is a massive understatement. Oh, absolutely. Uh, everything happened again. Uh, just dreadful weather, but I think it kind of helped. It wasn't hindering the uh, the action. And uh, yeah, lots of goals, lots of incidents, and we actually kicked some decent uh, games to watch this week as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, yeah, there were plenty of goals at Saitama Stadium where Urawa were home for the first time this season. They had played their first uh, two home league games of the year at Kormaba. And uh, yeah, despite the dreadful conditions in Kanto on Saturday, a bumper crowd of over 38,500 rocked up. One of them was Ralph Seidel and he joins us now. Uh, Ralph, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Hello, thanks for having me on again. I'm, I'm pretty good and dry again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you certainly got a soaking uh, on uh, on Saturday behind the goal at Saitama Stadium, Ralph. But uh, it's happy days for yourself and uh, Red supporters um, bouncing back after that goalless draw away at Nagoya last weekend with a 4-1 home win over Sapporo to make it 6 unbeaten in the league and indeed when you factor in the Levain Cup which obviously we don't give much of a mention uh, especially during the group stage but you've played three draws in your first three games in that competition as well so yeah it's uh, it's nine unbeaten in all comps and uh, the Maché Scorgia era looks like it's gotten off to a promising start. Yeah it, it, it looks well enough right now um, of course we, we had a bit of a difficult start with the first two games which we lost in, in the league um, but but after that, um, things actually got together reasonably well. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's going OK at the moment. Yeah. yeah. What were your thoughts after those first two games? Like, obviously, as you said, it was a slow start. But were there signs that there, there was a way of playing that was coming together and it just needed that one result, which turned out to be Cerezo? Or were there more deeper fears than that? Um, well, once once I've seen the the schedule for this year, I think we, we had a pretty tough start actually with uh, quite a few of the supposedly top teams um, coming up uh, early on. Um, so I think um, there was some danger that if we start losing the, the first three or four or so that um, things might be getting quite difficult early on already. Um, but yeah, so looking at the, the first two matches, in the first match, I think they were just too eager to to press um, high, um, which was kind of the motto from, from Scorger, um, and um, couldn't actually hold this up for, for the whole game. And then, then of course, also some, some very good uh, tactical changes by um, Buji. Um, actually then meant that we lost the game in, in somewhat unfortunate circumstances. Uh, but already in the second game, um, we were, of course, trailing um, Marinos. Uh, but in the second half, I think we were closer to, to the equalizer uh, than to the um, next goal from Marinos, which unfortunately then came through a, a stupid counter. And um, that was that. But I think at, at that time, we were already, at least in the second half, at least in the game and then looking not so terrible. So I think at that time there was already a, um, a little, at least a little bit visible what what can happen next. And um, from then on, 
Um, things got, of course, uh, significantly better when, when we had our first home game at Komaba um, for against um, first series or and um, where we even trade again, but were able to turn it around. And afterwards, then, of course, the, the game in, in Kobe, where we won, and um, also the game uh, again at home uh, against uh, Niigata, which um, all went actually quite nicely. So I think at that point, um, things were, were looking quite good indeed. Yeah. Absolutely. So what's the, what's the difference like between Kumaba and Saitama, Ralph? And do you think it affects the players at all? I mean, I imagine as a, a supporter, you, you quite enjoy getting to go to Kumaba, um, you know, a couple of times uh, a season. And, I yeah, I would hope that the, the club would, um, I mean, obviously, you know, they make more money from games at Saitama Stadium, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm sure they're aware of how much the, the, the supporters appreciate the, the intimate atmosphere at the, uh, you know, in inverted commas, a spiritual home. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a real contrast uh, of atmospheres, I'm sure, for the supporters. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it must be great to, uh, to get along to games there as well. Oh yeah, it's, it's it's quite a lot of fun. Um, despite having actually a, a running track, it's it's still relatively close to the pitch, and um, um, you're actually very densely packed. So, so basically, behind the goal, um, there's only standing areas, and um, in every row, we were actually standing uh, twice in a row, uh, two people in a row next to each, uh, behind each other, basically, and um, it was extremely packed, and the atmosphere is indeed um, very very nice. Um, but um, I think. The, the limitation is, of course, that you you only get, I think, 20, close to 20, 21,000 people into Komaba. So it's, it's always a, a very small stadium still. And, and therefore, I think many people are also quite happy that, that we are now back in uh, the Saitama Stadium. So I actually, before this season, I haven't seen Komaba actually completely full at all. So because um, I've been only to, to some of the really games and... Um, also some some early Emperor's Cup games in the past, um, and those are of course never sold out. So it, it's it's a very different atmosphere, and, and it's it's quite exciting. Yeah, that's terrific. All right then. So two events on the pitch on Saturday then. Uh, Sapporo were your visitors, and they were coming off a uh, a very impressive three-two away win over Cerezo Osaka in uh, in the previous round. So um, I, I mean, I, I think I said last week, yeah, that the the good version of Jekyll and Hyde showed up for uh, for Sapporo away in Osaka last week. But um, well, Sam, I'll come to you first on this game. It, it appeared to me from the highlights, and uh, obviously you you two have watched the game in full so you can shed a lot more light on it than I can. But um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if uh, necessarily the bad version of Jekyll and Hyde showed up. It's just that Reds really didn't allow Sapporo to play in their usual chaotic style. Well, still like, an element of chaos whenever you have Sapporo. You can't completely stamp it out of them. But yeah, I thought Reds played really well on the front foot. The pressure that they put Sapporo under, it caused mistakes, which isn't always too difficult against Sapporo's defensively, at least. But yeah, Sapporo didn't really get to create too many chances themselves. If they can get a foothold in a game and really control possession, then they can be a really dangerous opposition, as they showed against Cerezo. But yeah, Reds were very much in control of this. Obviously, the red card in the first half helps uh, Reds to kind of assume that control. But even before that, so yeah, Sapporo really couldn't get up ahead of the steam. There was maybe one chance for Asano, but it was quite limited in that respect. And yeah, Reds, I thought, controlled them really well. 
Yeah, and Ralph, you you know um, Sabora manager Misha Petrovic very well, of course, from his time in charge of Reds. And yeah, I mean you're you're well aware of um, uh, the way he wants his sides to go about things. So um, yeah, how how happy were you overall with the the, the Reds' performance, um, knowing how dangerous of an attacking team they can be? Yeah, when they're on their on their form. Yeah, I was I was quite quite happy how how this turned out in the end. Um, we had actually a pretty bad record against um, Sapporo in, in recent years, so um, I was a little bit worried. And um, of course, we all know what um, Misha can do, and um, still many many people uh, think very fondly of of him, of course, in Rava. Mm. Um, yeah. Things I think went went reasonably well. As Sam said, we we had good control of the game, and um, also created a, a few chances. But at the same time, even after this red card, um, it took us ages to to finally actually um, make this into a goal. So I, I think there's still a lot which um, needs to be improved overall. Okay, well that's great. I mean, Scorger will know that. Yeah, his his team is far from the uh, the finished article, and yeah, even after a, a four one uh, victory uh, like you had on Saturday, then yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done to to round his team into shape. So um, yes, Shinzo Kuroki, who of course uh, played on loan at Sapporo last season, well he's uh, back, and uh, yeah, well he's leading the line. Uh, for for Reds this year and uh, yeah he was brought down by uh, Sapporo defender Toya Nakamura in the 34th minute as he uh, raced uh, attempted to race away from Nakamura I don't know Sam a young whippersnapper like Nakamura doesn't have to be pulling uh, an old dog like Kuroki down does he should be (laughs) he should be able to at least match him for pace but I guess uh, Kuroki had a bit of a head of steam up on him and um, yeah Nakamura with a a handful of Kuroki shirt who uh, yeah he didn't really need much invitation to go down but Nakamura can't really have any complaints about the red card no Kuroki was very clever in the way that he runs across him and kind of forces Nakamura to bring him down and in fairness to Kuroki he might be 36 but this season he's got some sort of energy that's come out of nowhere and he looks like he's 27 again with the way he's bursting through I mean that's the reason he's starting he's adding that extra impetus that Linson wasn't able to provide and so far we haven't seen enough from uh, Kante either so yes it was a really good run from Kuroki just cuts across Nakamura who has to bring him down so Ralph what have you made of the kind of revival of Shinzo Kuroki this season and is that enough for Reds to to have a successful season or are you expecting a bit more from Kante maybe when he's um, a bit more fit? Um, First of all I'm I'm of course very happy that uh, Shinzo is is back actually um, scoring goals and um, really has improved um, quite a bit again um, this year. Um, of course, he alone will will not of will not of course be the the only goal scorer, the only striker for us. So so we definitely need some more. Um, so I, I do hope that in particular Kante actually can can step up and uh, provide that. I think there's some possibility that um, we've seen in the last couple of games from him that he might be able to do that eventually. I'm sorry, there's some some kind of car alarm somewhere. <laughs> No worries. You're you're safe and well. I I trust uh, Ralph. It's uh, is yeah from outside. Yeah, it's it's kind of a wave, but yeah, I'm sorry. 
no worries adds to the atmosphere we don't mind it we don't mind it at all and um well yeah ralph you know uh, for me personally as an fc tokyo supporter it goes against every fiber of my being to uh, to have a soft spot for an Arawa player but um yes atsuki ito has uh, definitely tickled my fancy since he's uh, come into the reds first team and yeah he had two uh, glorious chances didn't he to give reds the lead in the closing stages of the first half, but uh, he fired over after Gu Sung Young saved from uh, the impressive Tomoaki Okubo and then saw his uh, goal-bound effort blocked out for a corner by a, a scrambling Sapporo defence right before the break. But, uh, yeah, Ito uh, seems to just have uh, picked up where he left off uh, last season. And, um, well, yeah, he's, uh, he's a real key cog in the in, in the Reds' machine, isn't he? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's playing really well this season, has, has already... Um, created many chances. He had already this this beautiful goal against Kobe. So um, yeah, he's he's doing really well this year. Absolutely, but it was a somewhat unlikely source, Sam, who finally broke the deadlock for Reds in the 68th minute. Where uh, we're used to Alex Schultz being deadly from the penalty spot for Reds. Whenever Rawa uh, get a spot kick, the uh, the central defender is um, yeah can definitely be counted on to uh, to to put the ball away from 12 yards but um yeah I didn't really know he had this string to his bow intercepting a pass on uh, halfway surging forward and then uh, continuing his run after replaying the ball out to Takahiro Sekine on the right side footing home strikeresque uh, Sekine's uh, square return pass for 1-0 yeah it was magnificent from Schultz it was like as Ralph said they Reds had struggled to get that opening goal and he decided I'll take this game by the scruff of the neck I'll sort it out so he strides forward about 30 yards great ball out and yeah really good run the defending is rubbish from Sapporo I mean Fukumori who I, I think I'm falling out with him really has just lost it in the last <laughs> couple of years is a terrible pass to Schultz and then Schultz is unchallenged while he runs forward and then he so easily runs off the back of Aoki but you've got to give so much credit to Schultz and his determination to get in there and yeah you've, we've seen with his penalties he can finish like a striker and if he can do that in open play as well I mean yeah more strings to a wonderful bow that he's got Brilliant stuff. And as we'll come on to later, his uh, central defensive partner, Marius Hoybraten, also got on the score sheet with the last goal of the game. But, um, yeah, well, it's um, it's been a very short sample size, Ralph, but you have had a very brief look at Jose Conte in the uh, the past two league games. He came on for the last 15 minutes uh, last week at Nagoya, and then um, he'd come on uh, four minutes before Schultz's goal on Saturday, but his stay on the pitch only lasted uh, 12 minutes, and it was uh, 10 versus 10 after a Yavar check resulted in a straight red card for the new red striker after he caught a goo with his studs. So, um, yeah, far too early to jump to any conclusions, but have you seen glimpses in the, uh, what's he been on the pitch, just slightly under half an hour so far across those two games? Um, yeah, he's just, he's left his foot in there and mistimed uh, his uh, his challenge on, on Saturday. So uh, I think he accepted he had to go after the VAR check. But yeah, um, what have you seen from him so far in his uh, his couple of cameos? Yeah, I think um, he's um, very promising, and um, I think it probably also um, this red card came from the the enthusiasm he's actually showing um, so far, um, also in this game, but but also in in the Nagoya game, where even when he was already on the ground, um, he still managed to to get the the ball away, which which led to this this very last um, huge chance like, uh, chance actually for Rava 
uh, which unfortunately then uh, Matsuzaki wasn't able to convert. So um, I think he he has he has quite some energy with him um, that he shows on the pitch, and um, unfortunately maybe a little bit too much enthusiasm in this one particular instance um, for for this red card, which um, I think he he still tried to um, pull his uh, leg away, but um, it was probably too late and and um, yeah i think the red card is, is probably justified in the end yeah. all right now i'll come back to you ralph because um shinzo kuroki uh, put reds two nil up from the penalty spot in the 83rd minute um but it was four and a half minutes after his shot had hit the arm of uh, ryota aoki uh, this is one of the lengthier var delays of uh, this season and indeed since its introduction into j1 so um, what's it like? You, you're uh, you're drenched with rain. You're absolutely soaked to the bone, and um, it takes four and a half minutes for um, from the the incident where Karoki shoots the ball hits Aoki's arm to him actually slotting the penalty away. So um, just run us through what what that's like um, while you're getting um, pissed on with rain, and you just want them to, to come up to uh, you come to a, a decision in a, in a somewhat prompt manner, and it just drags on and on and on. I'm sure four and a half minutes felt like about 25 um yeah that's um it's of course painful to to um to wait through this and um in this case i think um almost everybody was was very obviously um yeah shouting for for this handball and um, um so most people were, were quite convinced that we would get actually this this uh, penalty and uh, once the the referee actually goes to the to his video screen and, and looks at it, um, then we actually can see that also on the big screen. So what what the referee sees, and at that time it's it's basically obvious, and everybody um, kind of knows that um, yeah he has to give that. Um, it's a little bit different um, in so I think the the red card and and this uh, penalty decision they went um, but the referee went to the referee uh, to the screen. Um, we could actually see, but for example this. Um, the second goal, which wasn't given because of offside, um, that one we couldn't see, and um, that one was for for people quite unclear why this was not given because it it looked like um, um, yeah that was wasn't obvious at all that that there was an offside um, early on of Sikine. So um, it's sometimes very painful to to see these um, goals then taken away that for no obvious reason at least at that time. Um, and then on other times, you can at least see sometimes what, what is happening. I'm surprised that at any point they're allowed to show it, because surely and whatever the, you think of this decision, if the ref's looking at it and it's like, oh, it's a red, it's going for red, surely you might be influenced by like 40,000 people paying for a, a, a handball and a penalty. That seems uh, particularly strange. And yeah, I don't know if that's uh, what the what's meant to happen. I don't know if it was a mistake there, but yeah, it seems a little bit, yeah, a bit unfair, I think. Yeah, I mean, you you can hear on the highlights, yeah, that once the referee goes over to the screen and yeah, he's looking at a replay, you can hear the, the crowd uh, reacting in the. Uh, yeah, as Ralph says, as they've seen it at the same time. So, yeah, I don't know if that's become standard uh, across J1 or if that was, um, yeah, maybe... I've so- seen that in, in different occasions as well this year. Right, right. Okay, so this particular lengthy delay, Sam, was there anything that um, 
they were checking in the build-up that you, you could tell because, yeah, as Ralph said, I mean, we, we, once he's seen it in the stadium, once it's put up on the big screen, well, yes, you can see that Kroki's shot hits Alki's arm, which is, uh, you know, down and away from his body. So it does appear a, a pretty obvious one. Is there any uh, – yeah, I'm sure you're going to say there isn't, but is there any possible explanation you can give to the uh, the, the length of the delay? Yeah, so uh, there was nothing else that was involved. It was not like they were checking an offside or anything. Right, I think right. it's one of these interpret like the handball rule is so difficult to interpret because they change it all the time. But there is one where if your arm is like trying to brace yourself and like stop, like it's in contact with the ground and you're stopping yourself falling, then they don't always give the handball. And Alki's arm was trailing him, and it was almost in that sort of manner in terms of holding him up. So I think that was where the indecision came from and uh yeah it's, it's, it's kind of a difficult one with if you're trying to look at that rule i think it is a handball it's the but the hand is away from his body and it's not like it's only there just to stop him falling so i think it was eventually the correct decision but that's the only reason i can think of as why it took so long but i mean we've seen with so many i've seen someone punch the ball onto the crossbar and they take four minutes so there's never usually not always an explanation for it yeah, no, fair enough. Then. All right, so um, we were set up for perhaps a grandstand finish, re- reminding you, listeners, it was 10 versus 10 by this stage when uh, Daiki Suga, uh, his shot deflected off Schultz's knee and crept inside Shusaku Nishikawa's left-hand post in the 88th minute. But a uh, Shunta Tanaka own goal when he slid in to attempt to clear a cross from David Moberg. And then, yes, Marius Hoy-Braten's close-range header for his first league goal for Reds uh, wrapped it up deep into second-half stoppage time, and uh, 4-1 was the final result. So as we wrap it up, um, Ralph, and I guess start to look ahead to what's uh, what's coming up for Reds in 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 the weeks to come. It's a uh, well in recent seasons we would would have said a very um, tricky looking prospect of a, a trip to Todoroki coming up on uh, on Sunday to play uh, yeah Kawasaki away. Um, but I mean in the form you're in, as we said, nine unbeaten in all comps, and uh, you've got a Levain Cup game at home against Shonan on Wednesday. And for all we know, you might make it ten. Uh, before you head to Todoroki. But then after that, it's, um, I think I checked, it's four of your next six league games are at home and the away trips are to Fukuoka and Kyoto. So, um, yeah, I, I guess, uh, as as we said, things are looking up. And, um, yeah, the fi- with the fixtures you've got um, ahead of you, it looks like you're um, in a pretty good position to keep uh, to keep in touch with the leading pack. Well, we we have a very tight schedule in in, in uh, May in particular because we have, of course, the um, and that's what most people are thinking about this day, um, the the ACL final, which is um, April 29 away and then um, May 6 actually at home, um, already sold out now. Um, so basically, um, those are the the main fixtures um, everybody's looking at, and I think that's also what. Um, uh, Scorja has been concentrating on so far with um, relatively little um, changes in, in the squad um, to basically concentrate on having one uh, excellent team ready for, for the ACL final. Um, what comes after that, I, I would expect that we probably get some more um, yeah, changes in, 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 in the squad and in, in, uh, tactical um orientation um, after that, also because we have then quite a few uh, Wednesday games to, to actually make up the, the two um, 
uh, games that that actually would have happened uh, during the the ACL final. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and that was negligent of me to forget that those games are coming up soon. I guess, yeah, the the, the final of the 2022 ACL, yes, it slipped my mind that that was coming up in in the next couple of weeks. So, um, well, I mean, it doesn't get any, any bigger, does it? And, um, yeah, should be two uh, fantastic games and, uh, again, a chance for Reds to, to lift the Continental Trophy for the third time. So uh, you must be absolutely buzzing at the prospect. I'm I'm very much looking forward to it, and, and I think so is so is every one of of the red supporters. Um, it's it's going to be um, quite exciting. I think we will have actually, as I said, um, a full house. There's already um, I heard um, I think a thousand people or so will probably travel to to Saudi Arabia for the first leg. Um, at, at least that's the rumor. And um, yeah, they have this time actually the. There's only a very limited amount of uh, away seats actually on the upper floor of, of the, the main stands um, only for, for um, Al-Hilal, which means that basically the both uh, Gol Ura areas will actually be um, um, home home areas. And um, so it's, it's going to be really packed. And um, um, I think we, we can expect something uh, from the ultras again in terms of uh, careers and so on. So it, it's going to be great, I think. How confident are you going into these two legs? I have to admit, when you won the East section and like thinking ahead, is it going to be Al Halal? I was thinking, okay, they've got no chance here. It's going to be really difficult. But after the start to this season, after the way this team has come about, do you think you can give a give um, Al Halal a real good test? Um, well, I think um, of course Al Hilal is basically the the Saudi national team, right? So um, it's it's going to be. Um, I think quite uh, tricky and, and we might still be the, the outsiders, but I think um, how we are getting together now, and particularly defensively, we are extremely solid. Um, if we then um, can um, also make a few chances actually count, uh, I think then uh, then we have a good possibility to actually win it. I've, I've heard that Hilal is, is currently not doing so well in their league. So so maybe it's it's going to be about even, I hope. All right. Well, yeah, we uh, we, we certainly wish you all the best for that. And um, I mean, yeah, I guess the players could be excused for having uh, one eye on the first leg against the Al-Hilal when uh, you visit Kawasaki on Sunday. But I'm sure uh, Scorgia will have uh, his, uh, his team as uh, best prepared as they can be. And uh, yes, once that game is taken care of, then yes, all the focus shifts to those two legs against uh, Al-Hilal. So... Um, yeah, well done on the uh, performance on Saturday, uh, Ralph. And uh, yeah, glad to hear that you've dried out okay. And it sounds like that car alarm has uh, yeah died down <laughs> in the background. So hopefully everybody's <laughs> okay in in your neighbourhood. And um, yeah, good luck for Sunday and uh, for the ACL final. It should be epic. And um, yeah, we hope Reds can uh, can bring the trophy back to Saitama. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So thanks again to Ralph Seidel. After a quick hit of music, Sam and I will round up the rest of the J1 Match Day 8 results. Welcome back, and uh, thanks again to Ralph for his uh, efforts in Part 1. Uh, next, we'll move on to the league leaders, Vissel Kobe, who travelled to Kashima uh, in the rain on Saturday. And, uh, Sam, this was your pick of the round, uh, you called on Kashima to uh, to put on a performance to uh, to fight for their manager. 
to show um, yeah why they're re- referred to as the, a big club, the most successful uh, in the history of J1. And, um, well, the home team uh, turned to pumpkins as the, the leaders ran all over them to the tune of five goals to one. Yeah, they were just terrible. You expect it. I didn't think it would get much worse than the performance they put in against uh, Ray Sol uh, last week, but this was just dreadful. Kobe, very clinical, but Cashman, again, no idea what they were doing, no direction at all, same as usual. And yeah, the responses are gone, garnered them their biggest defeat in the league since 2007, a 5-1 loss to Gamba, biggest home defeat since 2006 when they lost 4-0 to Jeff. They've won one, one in seven with four straight defeats. And since Siwamasa came in charge in August, they've won four out of 18. Those were a struggling Avispa, who were the better team, a relegated Shimizu, Kyoto at the start of this year, who were dreadful, and Yokohama FC. It is a dreadful record, but apparently, according to the directors at Kashima, there's no need to consider a change of manager, and Iwamasa continues. So I don't know how bad it has to get considering Rene Viola got sacked for the fir- for dropping out of the top four for the first time all season last year. Iwamasa apparently can do no wrong. It's just, I don't know what's going on there, but I don't see how this, this performance at the weekend and last week and just generally can be acceptable for a team as good as Kashmir Antlers can be. Yeah, it's uh, simply stunning that they haven't acted after, um, well, yeah, what we've seen so far. And I just assumed that uh, Saturday would be the final straw. I, I just... I guess that they they would have let uh, Iwamasa on the team bus uh, so that he could pick up his car from the trading ground. But um, yeah, it's uh, it, it appears that uh, they're all still pulling in the same direction, even though it seems to be pulling them down towards the foot of the table. Uh, I suppose so. I mean, you can have at the end of the game where everyone got, they go over to greet the supporters and whatnot, and you expect like a united front there, but. Everyone left uh, immediately. Like they bowed briefly and then most of the team left. They just left Suzuki there, who was there just kind of pleading with the supporters. And there was just fury from them because they're going, well, what's going on with the rest of these? Why have they all r- ran off? So that everyone had to be dragged back kind of tail between their legs. I mean, you could tell that Yuma Suzuki, for all his faults, absolutely cared. And he was there trying to yeah, talk to the supporters and trying to apologise and whatnot. But... Yeah, the rest of them walking off, it's just, oh, are they even that bothered? Like, and just, besides that, it's just, even if they were bothered, which maybe some are, but the tactical direction is just not there. They just played in the same way. They made a couple of changes, like Shoji, I think, was rightly dropped, but really, they didn't really change the style of play. They didn't look like they were going to take advantage of the quality of player that they do have. Eventually, they went to a back three at the end when they were two when they were two nil down. It was more of a damage limitation but again, not really looking to cause any threat, and they were just so poor. So yeah, if they're all pulling in the right direction, it's only going to take them one way, and that's further down the table. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, well, Kobe um, certainly put them to the sword and were uh, excellent value for their victory. Uh, their strike pairing of Yuya Osako, of course, firm, formerly of that parish. Uh, made his name at Kashima before heading over to Europe, uh, bagged a brace, as did Yoshinori Muto, who found his, uh, uh, well, found his shooting boots. Well, he headed in his first goal of the uh, the afternoon, but um, yes, uh, scored to himself. Uh, Osako opened the scoring in the 24th minute when he ran off uh, Naomichi Wada, who uh, stood and watched as Osako guided a, a terrific header from Rio Hatsuse's corner down and into the net across the Kashima keeper 
Tomoki Hayakawa, who later made a point-blank save from Muto's volley from inside the six-yard box five minutes before the break. Muto did have his revenge in first-half stoppage time, though he powered home a header from alongside the penalty spot from Mitsuki Saito's pinpoint cross in from the left. And uh, Sam's mentioned how influential Saito's been since his arrival at Vissel uh, a couple of times in uh, in recent weeks. Things went from bad to worse for Antlers inside the first 45 seconds of the second half when Yuta Higuchi gave away a penalty for controlling a bouncing ball off his arm. Osako waiting out a VAR check before stroking home the spot kick to finish off his brace, uh, though the host did pull a goal back just past the hour when uh, Yuma Suzuki backheeled home a tidy finish from Higuchi's drive. Uh, Osako's day was done after that goal, and 10 minutes after he came on, his replacement, Daiju Sasaki, re-established Kobe's three-goal advantage when he headed in across from deep on the left by Muto, uh, and Muto had the final word himself five minutes from time when he side-footed home Gotoku Sakai's square ball to wrap up a thoroughly satisfying day at the office for the leaders. Um, yeah, any thought of this being a potential banana skin with Kashima yeah, needing to put on a performance to um, yeah, appease the natives who were certainly growing restless at up in uh, Ibaraki, Sam? Well, uh, yeah, Kobe took care of business, and that's a massive understatement. Yeah, it is. They were fantastic. You've got to give a lot of credit to them. Uh, they just absolutely outplayed Kashima from minute one. Just the movement of that midfield was really good. Muto had his best game. I mean, yeah, he missed, still missed a couple of chances. I mean, he could have had four or five in this one if it wasn't for Hayakawa. But yeah, his interplay with Osaka is really good. They crossing out wide. They can mix up the way that they uh, uh, produce their attacks. They were just clinical as well. They were very, very good. It was just that front uh, well, front six it would be with the midfield three and then the attacking three. They are all so good. They're all linking up really well. There's a great understanding. And yeah, they just uh, blew Kashima away. It was a fantastic performance. And just you know, just to see Osaka and Muto fit and firing. I mean, it's, that's what's put Kobe at the top of the league so far. They were, yeah, very, very good. And defensively, pretty solid as well. They had an injury to Honda as, in there. So there's still a lot of issues at the back, but... Still looking fairly uh, competent against decent strikers in Shinen and uh, Suzuki. So, yeah, another magnificent performance from Kobe. Didn't even need to call Iniesta off the bench. That's how well the game was going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, So a statement made by uh, Kobe and I guess a statement made by the Kashima front office that they're going to stand behind Daiki Iwamasa um, while he's getting pelters off the off the terraces. Um, Yeah, it's uh, it's hard for us to see. Iwamasa turning antlers around, but um, yeah, I guess the uh, we'll, we'll wait and see what uh, sort of a performance they put in uh, away at Niigata on Sunday because, um, yeah, well, it's safe to say I think that the big swan will be bouncing after events there uh, this past Saturday that we'll come on to shortly. But, uh, yeah, so statement made by Kobe, who stay top of the pile, and uh, Nagoya have managed to keep uh, on their coattails thanks to a landmark win of their own uh, away at Todoroki on Saturday they uh, traveled to face Kawasaki who had won the uh, the previous three meetings at Todoroki but indeed had not lost at home to Grampus in the league since 2012 so um yes Grampus uh, needed to to stay on the uh, Kobe's uh, heels, Sam, and uh, Kasper Junker got them off to a perfect start with a typical ice-cold finish in just the ninth minute. 
Yeah, this is just kind of how I look at Nagoya, and this is how I imagine they're going to score goals. They sit back, they sit deep, they counter on any mistake, and they just blitz them. And it was just a quick ball into Nagai. His pace gets in behind, plays it into Juncker, and he was never, ever going to miss the most like kind of most competent striker that we have in the league. He's just, yeah, ice cool, and it's a lovely finish. And, yeah, that sets Nagoya up on their way, because whenever they go a 1-0 up against anyone, they're just going to sit deep, they sit in, they're very good defensively. The occasion that you can get past that defence, Langrak is going to save um, nine times out of ten. And yeah, they as much as Kawasaki had the ball after going uh, 1-0 down, they didn't really create anything. Nagoya were very rarely threatened. And uh, yeah, I thought full value for their victory, despite, yeah, as you look at the possession stats, and you think, oh, Kawasaki really deserved something. But no, I thought and Nagoya kept them at arm's length and yeah, were very, very good. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, because the, the official stats are 70% possession to Kawasaki. But uh, is that mostly just empty calorie stuff, just passing the ball around amongst themselves? Or, um, yeah, they, they weren't really able to make any uh, clear incisions uh, through the, uh, the the Nagoya back line? Yeah, they just don't go anywhere. They have the, the ball, but, yeah, it's just everything was played in front of Nagoya. Very rarely was anyone looking to go beyond it was just kind of intricate stuff in midfield that again just it was quite easy the goal they score is they tried playing intricate play in mid in midfield just around the penalty area and the ball just kind of kindly breaks to Miyashiro and he has a shot so it was uh, somewhat fortunate in the way that they managed to get that shot on target but really yeah they've tried so many different combinations of midfielders and attackers and it's just not really working it's just they've not been able to find a solution Obviously, no Damian, no Marcinho offers that little bit of something different. And without those two kind of change-ups, they really struggle to get anywhere. And yeah, it's a frustrating time, I'm sure, for Frontale supporters who are maybe not used to their team being so unable to break down opposition. But yeah, it's just all played in front of Nagoya and Nagoya. Just going to lap that up all day. And that's what they did. Right, right. So, yeah, uh, Miyashiro did score for uh, Frontale 11 minutes uh, after the break. But by that time, uh, Grampus were already 2-0 up, thanks to uh, Juncker, of course, in the ninth minute. And then uh, Mateus Castro, He was. Uh, it's been coming for weeks, hasn't it, Sam? Well, well I've been talking about it uh, for weeks. I, I thought he was due, uh, Mateus, obviously the, the, the talisman for Grampus. And finally, yes, his first goal, league goal of the season, came in the second minute of uh, first half stoppage time. A, a free kick from well beyond 25 yards was, um, I mean, obviously sweetly struck, as uh, we'd expect from Mateus, but basically helped into the net by uh, Junsung Ryong, who uh, I guess he basically just uh, palmed it into the, the side netting of the goal, didn't he, as he f- fell in, fell backwards into the uh, the goal himself. So, um, yeah, Mateus will take it, obviously, but uh, Jung, I'm sure he'd love to have that back and just to sort his positioning out a little bit better. Yeah, there was a bit of dip, there was a little bit of swerve on it, but really it was the reactions of Jung. He didn't get a cross in time, and by the time he got a hand to it, it already crossed the line, so he can only help it further into the net. So, yeah, not great goalkeeping. I don't think he's had a very good season. Jung, maybe the legs aren't moving as quickly as they once did, and, yeah, he's not performing too well. It just seems to be, like, entirety of Frontale. They're all in this sort of malaise at the moment. Nobody can really get going. Nobody in that team, I would say, Bar Tachi Banada is really performing to anywhere near their usual levels. And uh, yeah, he, Jung's just uh, one of those at the moment. 
Right, so Kami Fukumoto is waiting in the wings. Is it just about his time for an opportunity? Or, uh, I mean, we can't blame Jung for uh, all of um, uh, Kawasaki's frailties so far, but uh, is that something that, uh, is that a move that Oniki could try to maybe shake some players out of their funk that, um, yeah, nobody's undroppable and, um, yeah, standards need to lift? Yeah, I think that sort of change needs to be made because Jung forever has been untouchable. He's never really dropped, is he? He plays pretty much every game. Kami Fukumoto's had two clean sheets in the Levain Cup, and I think he deserves his chance, uh, if, whether it's an improvement or not, who knows? But I think, yeah, Jung has just been kind of, I don't want to say he's resting on his laurels necessarily, but he's not been to the standard of goalkeeper that he has been in previous years. And uh, yeah, I think a change like that will show that, okay, we need to book our ideas up if we're going to stay in this team. I think Jung's one of those. I think Mickey Yamane is one of those who's had so many years without any sort of competition. And I think he's been really poor this season and uh, Ian Arger as well. And uh, Ian Arger, I think, struggles by the way that he plays if Kawasaki aren't playing and he's going to play in that kind of it seems like a lackadaisical style I think it looks even worse when Frontale aren't playing well but I think those three players and they were so key to Kawasaki have been so key I think they all have to book their ideas up and I think at some point the manager has to make one of those shock changes just to kick this team into gear because at the moment nothing is changing and they're just doing the same things and it's not getting them anywhere. Indeed, indeed. All right. So, um, yeah, a mission accomplished for uh, for Grampus. As we said, it had been mission impossible in the last 10 or so years. But, yes, they managed to uh, to, to finally notch a uh, an away victory at Todoroki in the league. And, um, yeah, uh, Langerak did have to make a couple of, uh, of late saves from uh, a volley from Miyashiro 15 minutes from time and then a, a Jao Schmidt header in stoppage time that might not have been going in, but uh, Langerak uh, made made sure anyway and, and pulled it uh, away from the goal. But, uh, yep, so Grampus uh, roll on and, as we said, have uh, hung on to Kobe's coattails, uh, have ha- as have uh, Sanfrecce Hiroshima, who travelled to still winless Yokohama FC in uh, the driving rain at Mitsuzawa on Saturday. Uh, again, a, uh, a poor crowd number to uh, to turn up to a Yokohama FC home game of under 4,000. Uh, I'm sure the obviously the the terrible weather and um, yeah the lack of cover on uh, basically 80% of the ground at uh, Mitsuzawa played an Im- an impact on the the crowd number. But um, yeah, I mean Yokohama FC aren't really giving too many reasons uh, to the supporters to turn up these days, are they, Sam? In uh, especially if the weather's going to be like it was on Saturday, uh, another. Um, disappointing performance where they flickered at times. I mean, yeah, I mean, they had the ball in the net through Kokiogawa in the third minute, only for the goal to be uh, disallowed after a VAR check when uh, the ball came off Caprini's chest and then onto his arm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you get the rub of the green, one of those is allowed to stand, and maybe uh, Yokohama C are, are in with a fighting chance. But uh, once uh, Shunki Higashi gave uh, Sanfrecce the lead four minutes after the break, there was uh, only ever going to be one winner. Yeah, that's it with Yokohama. If it doesn't quite go the way, the first sign of adversity, they just kind of crumble. Because, again, they started the game fairly well, as they had done for the last few games. They'd started okay, and then, yeah, the I think it's a definite, uh, needs to be disallowed, the Caprini goal. It's a handball. He also knees Osaka in the head, so I think there was a lot going wrong with it. But 
uh, yeah, they didn't get that. They had a couple of other chances where Ogawa just headed wide and it just didn't quite go their way. And then Hiroshima kind of in first gear, but then they just kind of took control. And then by the time they scored the start of the second half, it just kind of went to pop for Yokohama, as it has done there so often this season. It then becomes very easy to play against them. They kind of lose all their discipline. They try and go forward too much and leave too many gaps behind without there's no real thinking in what they're doing it's just oh we've got to go back and get a goal here and they just come leave themselves uh, completely open they don't really have enough individual quality in the side they and they just got outplayed in this game Hiroshima in the end uh, you were talking to me about the shot counts and who knows what's accurate or not but Hiroshima battered them in the shot count and battered them in the game and it was just a question of how many they were going to score because Eiji may or five or six notable saves that I can think of uh, to deny them. And yeah, they score three could have been plenty more. Yeah, I mean, uh, regular listeners are probably tired of me going on about the differences in, uh, yeah, who you can trust with shot counts. But either way you slice it, uh, five to 26, according to the J-League, and seven to 32, according to Google. So, um, yeah, basically a a shot every three minutes in this game for Hiroshima. And, uh, yes, they were finally rewarded with with three goals. Their second came in the 73rd minute, but uh, it was uh, actually an own goal from a bonnie face in Duka who slid in to uh, to steer a, a low cross in from Higashi past his keeper before San Freche super sub Douglas Vieira could tap in. But uh, the big man would not be denied and he scored for the third straight game and made it four in three uh, just two minutes later when a fellow sub Ezekiel raced down the right and uh, squared for the simplest of finishes for Vieira and um, yeah, three nil it finished. Um, yeah, I mean, Yokohama FC, you, you have to feel for them. Their supporters would be tearing their hair out because yeah, they they just don't appear to be getting the rub of the green. But as you say, once uh, once things go a little bit south, then um, yeah, they leave themselves far too open. And um, uh, the I guess the only positive well that we can see so far Sam is that they have been competitive for periods of games and that they're not um fully cut adrift yet with um almost a quarter of the season played i mean we saw uh, gamba and kashiwa win for the first time this season but uh, neither of them were able to build on that uh, sorry last weekend and neither of them were able to build on those victories with uh, another this past weekend. So they're not cut adrift yet, but uh, to say a, a win is desperately needed is uh, again, a massive understatement. And I mean, we've already seen them play uh, a number of fixtures where they would have, um, yeah, been expe- expecting to be, um, well, more competitive in games and they, they, you know, games that they might've circled as, um, as games they needed to win. Uh, if they're going to rack up enough points to be safe. And, yeah, so far they basically have nothing to show for. No, especially that Kyoto at home, that 4-1 defeat was like really bl- uh, a blow for them. I mean, you expect to get something from that game if you're going to get from anything, but they didn't. Uh, yes, they've been they've shown that they can compete, and maybe if one of those first half ends with them having sneaked a 1-0 lead, and maybe that can be the impetus that can uh, start a run of form. Because, yeah, confidence and momentum is everything in this league or in any league. And, yeah, you're not seeing necessarily from the teams just above them that anyone's going to go on a massive run of consecutive victories to really come away from them. So, yeah, it just means that one moment, maybe a one bit of fortune that goes their way that could potentially 
spark that team into life. I'm not 100% sure uh, where that's necessarily coming from. But you look at their weekend fixture, it's another one. It's Gamba Osaka. It is away from home, but it's one of those teams in and around them that they have to try and get something from if they are to survive in this league. Because uh, it's only one going down, but st- uh, like I think you'd be hard-pressed to find many people that are thinking that Yokohama FC aren't that one that's going to go down. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, obviously, Gumba, that's a game they absolutely have to win uh, if they want to be um, pushing up the table. So Yokohama FC can, uh, if they can, yeah, score first. And if the goal's allowed to stand, then, yeah, maybe they can, um, yeah, build the anxiety on the terraces at the Panasonic Stadium. And who knows, they might be able to get something out of it. But, um, yeah, it's not looking great. Obviously, there's some some heavy defeats in in recent weeks. And, um, yeah, they can't really have any complaints uh, after uh, after Saturday's uh, loss at the hands of San Freche. Uh, all right, next, for many, uh, the uh, the game of the round, and I guess for Niigata supporters, it's probably the game of the season so far up at the Big Swan uh, when uh, Albert X hosted Avispa Fukuoka, of course, flying high in the table, uh, the visitors, on the back of a uh, six-game unbeaten run in the league. And, um, yeah, Fukuoka looked like they were going to keep the good times rolling, Sam, when they raced into a 2-0 lead uh, just past the half hour uh, when uh, Kazuya Konno won and then converted a penalty in the 17th minute. And then uh, Itsuki Oda headed in from a corner in the 32nd minute. But, um, yeah, from that position of strength in this game, I don't know, did uh, Avispa get Fukuoka'd by, by Niigata? Yeah, exactly that. They were absolutely done in by, yeah, an incredible end to the game, but a really incredible fight back from Niigata. I've got to give Avispa credit because last week I was kind of bored by them and I don't really like the way they play and they were much better here. They were so much on the front foot and I think it might cost them in the end, but at least it improved the viewing experience for me. So that's all that matters. But yeah, they were on the front foot. They switched to a back four more out of they had to really. Mia's injured and Grolly missed out as well. So they were forced into a more more attacking formation and they kind of went with that. I thought they really went at Niigata early and they were thoroughly deserving the uh, 2-0 lead that they got. But Niigata grew into the game as the half, the first half went on. And then, yeah, second half, it was the Ryotaro Ito show. It was a magnificent performance from him. And, yeah, he almost single-handedly uh, beat a Visper on that, uh, that afternoon. Yeah, it's a remarkable performance. He'd obviously turned a, a number of heads in in the first few match days, but uh, yeah, as uh, Nikata had, as, I guess, slightly gone off the boil, it was uh, it was Shusuke Oda who was scoring the goals, but um, uh, yeah, Ito hadn't um, hadn't notched in the, the last few weeks, but uh, he launched the Albert X fight back in a stunning style, just 62 seconds into the second half when he caught out Fukuoka keeper Takumi Nagaishi at his near post with an audacious free kick from a tight angle on the left. Ito curling into the net when Nagaishi and everyone else was expecting a cross. So, I mean, yeah, the the audacity to try something like that. I guess, um, yeah, if, if you don't try, you, you never know, Sam. But, um, yeah, the uh, every man and his dog expecting a, a ball into the box for, for a big lump to try and head in. But, uh, yeah, Ito, um, yeah, I don't know, genius at work. 
Oh, absolutely, yeah. Perfect placement, perfect power. He had to have it exactly there, really, to score. Nagishi will probably be disappointed to have been beaten by that. But, yeah, no one's expecting Ito to do what he does there. And it takes, yeah, real quality and real courage to take on that um, strike. And, yeah, it was exactly what Nigata needed. It was that perfect lift at the start of the second half. Yes, and just took the ever so slightest kiss off the off the near post, off the inside of the post as it went into the net as well. So absolutely stunning stuff from Ito. As we'll uh, uh, come on to, there was uh, much, much more to come from him uh, in the dying embers of this game. But, um, well, up until the 93rd minute and uh, Ito's equaliser, Sam, had uh, Fukuoka appeared to uh, have done enough for you obviously they you know they were literally two or three minutes away from uh, from sealing uh, another uh, another victory um so yeah the, their supporters will obviously be gutted at the way they've um not only surrendered a point but yeah all three at the death um but uh yeah i don't know the, I would have thought Fukuoka would be a little bit more street smart under uh, under Mr. Hasebe. So, I mean, I guess you can't legislate for a, a couple of moments of genius from Ito that we got, not only the, the first goal, but then yeah, his uh, equaliser and then the winner as well. But um, I don't know, they guilty of not seeing out the game here in uh, in a style we might have expected from, from Fukuoka teams previously? Yeah, I think the lack of Grolli and Mir definitely doesn't help because once you have hit those two and Nara, you've got such a good base to really sit in on and you can have that confidence sitting in on that. But when you take out the two of them, you've got a back four. One of them's young Mikuni, who's not at the same level as the two I've mentioned. They don't really have that base. And then a couple of changes were a bit strange. I thought Nakamura coming off, who was that one of those that can sit in front of that back line and really give that... Uh, cover and especially in the position that Ito plays in to take him out of there I think it gave Ito a little bit more space to really play his one twos and yeah, goals come from that situation they had plenty of chances in the end by creating those little one twos and those pockets him and Otto were so good at, at that so yeah taking those out I think it was there were strange substitutions you wouldn't necessarily expect it really from Avispa to maybe going more attacking. Uh, like they brought on three strikers in the second half, which is like Misha Petrovic style, not um, Avispa for Quoka. So it was, it was just, I, I don't want to criticise it because that's kind of what I was asking for. But I do think it's probably cost them in this game, which probably shows why I'm not a football manager. <laughs> well, yeah, um, yeah, maybe Mr. Hasebe has been uh, has been listening secretly uh, uh, all this time, and uh, yeah, he thought, okay, I'll show. I'll show Sam, but uh, yeah, it looks like it's it looks like it's backfired on him. But uh, again, uh, just a, a couple more moments of magic from Ryotaro Ito, and uh, and that sealed ultimately a famous victory for Albertex in the 93rd minute. Uh, the defender Thomas Deng played the ball forward to Ito, who uh, exchanged passes with uh, Kaito Taniguchi, and um, yeah, flashed a shot past Nagaishi and into the net, but he wasn't finished there. And when Eitaro Matsuda got to the byline and crossed in the 95th minute, the ball bounced out off two players in the center. I think it was Taniguchi and maybe Mikuni as well. And Ito was perfectly placed to lash an unstoppable drive into the net to send the big swan absolutely mental and complete a phenomenal hat trick and an outpouring 
of um, sheer joy from Ito as well. That was great to see. He's, um, I don't know, he's got the, uh, the a bit of the Satoki Wajos about him, hasn't he, Sam? Where he, uh, you know, he's pretty cool, calm and collected after he scored the first couple of goals. But um, it was great to see him just, uh, well, you could see how much it meant to him to score the winner in so deep into stoppage time. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a massive pile on and um, yeah, he wasn't just going to jog back to the centre after that. No, no, he is a little bit too cool for school at times, and yeah, this is just what I do, I'm Rio Tarito, but yeah, it was great, the, the uh, celebrations after that, it's fantastic scenes, and yeah, I mean, he'd absolutely deserved it, I mean, what a performance, the three goals are so well taken, like, all different as well, like, I really like the second one, it's just that one-two, and then there's no backlift, and he finds that, it's one of those where he just cuts across it a little bit, arrows it into the bottom corner, it's such a good finish, and even the third, because he has to react, it just drops two him and then it's just yeah hit it within like there's no chance for a reaction from Nagishi it's back behind him and into the net before he could even react to it it was just a really good finish and yeah well worthy of uh, the celebrations yeah because it, it maybe have been I don't want to say a lean spell for him but it's been a couple of games where he's not really got on the goal on the score sheet but yeah he was just magnificent here and just showed everyone again why he's maybe uh, in, in many people's view uh, the player of the season so far. Yep, stunning stuff and uh, yeah, yeah, a famous victory, as we said, for Niigata as they move back into the top half of the table with a first league win in four. Uh, Fukuoka obviously will look to shake off this disappointment of, uh, yeah, as we said, having come in on the back of six unbeaten in the league and um, yeah, obviously hugely disappointed not to have seen this one out, but uh, they'll be looking to bounce back uh, this coming weekend. All right then, so yeah, terrific occasion at the uh, the Big Swan and also at the Sanger Stadium. Next, we'll move on to another mixed weekend for the Osaka clubs. Uh, last week, Gumba notched their first victory of the the league campaign, and they uh, followed that up with a trip to Kyoto for a Kansai derby. And, um, yeah, this was uh, quite an occasion as well. Uh, Yuta Toyokawa gave the hosts Kyoto the lead in the 22nd minute when he side-footed home superbly, a, a lovely cross in from the right by Rikito Inoue. Uh, but, uh, well, yeah, we've talked about how special Ito's goals were. There was a another special in this game from uh, Gamba's Hideki Ishige. He leveled with a sublime first-time strike from uh, 25 yards that might have taken a slight flick off the, uh, the the Kyoto captain, uh, Sota Kawasaki, as it flew into the net past the dive of uh, Tomoya Wakahara. But, um, yeah, this was uh, Ishige, I guess, rolling back the years, all the way back to his early days with uh, uh, with Shimizu, Sam, when he was announcing himself on the the J-League stage. But this was a an absolutely stunning strike, and it had come shortly after he went close with a, a drive from, uh, I guess, similar range that just missed the target. Yeah, he's, he's done well in the last couple of games. He's come in for Samu, who's been injured, and he's, yeah, performed pretty well. I mean, this goal, I mean, what can you say about it? It's just an incredible strike with technique on it, just on the half by the way he controls it. I, I hope it hasn't taken a nick because it slightly takes away from the goal, but, yeah, it's still a fantastic effort. No chance for the goalkeeper, as central as it is. Like, yeah, there's no way that Wakahara is saving that. It was just, yeah, a magnificent strike from him. And it's it's always nice, I think, to see Ishige do well, considering how many injuries he's had over the last few years. So to get him playing uh, regularly and to scoring goals like this is uh, great to see. So, yeah, I was uh, yeah, really happy to see that. And, uh, 
yeah, it looked like it was putting Gamba back into the game. And uh, you've got to give credit to Kyoto for kind of seeing off that little period where Gamba on top and then getting back in front late on. I thought, yeah, they defended better than usual Kyoto, which was nice to see. Yes, indeed. All right. So, yeah, some big names started this game on the bench. The uh, the Gamba captain, Takashi Usami, was a substitute in this game, as was former Gamba great Patrick. And, um, well, Sam, I guess if you had a vast um, a, a Gamba supporter before this game, for their worst-case scenario, it would be to uh, to see Patrick score a winner for Kyoto against Gamba. And, to yeah, to see that then come to pass uh it must have been galling for uh for all gumba supporters the the big man came off the bench just past the hour uh, when he replaced kosuke uh, kinoshita who of course had been his uh, strike partner in uh, in recent weeks but then uh, yeah then in the 82nd minute uh yeah the moment the visiting supporters were dreading and feared i'm sure arrived when uh, patrick's fellow sub Paulinho robbed a dawdling Genta Miura just outside the box and fed Patrick, who fired in off Corsetani's foot to uh, to spark wild scenes on the terraces at the Sanga Stadium. But uh, an apologetic non-celebration from Patrick. Um, I guess, Sam, you're probably wishing that he had have uh, whipped out the machine gun. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. You've got to celebrate properly. Like, when Keiichi then scored for Kashima against Kawasaki, he gave it everything. So, yeah, I think, well, Patrick, I suppose he's played a long time at Gambridge, respectful. He's a nice guy, isn't he? So, yeah, I wasn't expecting him to celebrate, but it would have been great if he did, but maybe not for Gamba supporters. But, yeah, it kind of felt inevitable when he came on. Like They kind of left him, Gambridge suspense, leaving him on the bench for the first hour. But as soon as he came on, he just felt that he was going to score and yeah he takes advantage of dreadful play from Euro who uh, I mean I don't think I can't remember the last time I said anything positive about him but he's at fault for both goals because he leaves Toyokawa for the first one but yeah dreadful piece of play from him but Paulinho takes it on good movement from Patrick to peel away and then yeah he was never going to miss from there so yeah really good goal for him great yeah great for him he still meant it still you could still see it meant a lot to him but yeah no guns flailing and uh, celebrating in front of the Gamba supporters or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, a, me- a measured celebration. Yes, yes. Um, very respectful from the big man. But as you said, yes, he would have been bubbling over inside, I'm sure. Uh, any goal is, is special. And uh, yeah, as it turned out to be the winner for Kyoto and uh, yeah, help to steady their ship and indeed, uh, yeah, see them uh, back up to seventh in the table. So um, yeah, a huge one. For his side, um, they uh, their opponents, Gumba, finished with uh, 10 men after a, well, it looked to me, Sam, a very harsh-looking red card to uh, to Kwon Kyung Won in the yeah, in the 88th minute. He was late to a sliding challenge with uh, Temma Matsuda, but, I mean, didn't catch the Sanga man with his studs or anything. It looked, um, it looked a harsh one to me, but um, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, I think it was a ridiculous decision. It's yeah, okay, 50, that's good. <laughs> Yeah. They're both going for it at the same time, and just because Matster has just about flicked his le- leg out and kicked the ball away, it's just he's not out of control. It's not like studs up. It's not high. It's just a clash of like thigh on thigh in the end. It's ridiculous. I can't believe that was given as a red card after a review. It's just unbelievable. I think yeah, it's very harshly done to their quad. 
Yeah, I mean, if Matsuda was racing away, if he'd stayed on his feet and uh, and Quan had brought him down, I mean, uh, yeah, you, yeah, it might have been um, kind of last man kind of territory, but uh, yeah, they were both literally sliding into a fifty-fifty, and uh, Quan was yeah half a second late, and as we said, yeah, they just they basically banged knees or thighs, and um, yeah, a a strange one, and that's extra strange that it wasn't overturned, as you know, VAR is there to look at things like that, and um, it certainly wasn't dangerous play by Quan. So um, yeah, unfortunately for him, he had to go, and it stood after what passed for a VAR check and uh but there, i mean there was still almost a, a very very late equalizer from uh, from gumba with the uh, wakahara needing to make a huge late save from uh, keisuke kurokawa deep into second half stoppage time but um yes sanga did see out the 2-1 victory and um yeah much needed for them no question a first league win in three for them um so yeah the the flip uh, the script was flipped always a difficult one for me to say as uh, as we said gumba won last week but lost this week and uh, cerezo who were uh, pretty disappointing last week at home against uh, sapporo well they uh, they flipped a script of their own and in similar style to nagoya uh, traveling away to kawasaki uh, cerezo headed up to the capital to face FC Tokyo, where uh, Cerezo had lost on their last four trips to Ajinomoto Stadium, including a 4-0 drubbing in match day 32 of last season when uh, Ryoma Watanabe scored a hat-trick, and uh, more on him later. He was at it again against Cerezo at home. But, um, Sam, well, yeah, I asked Dan Olowitz last week if, uh, Houston, we have a problem when it comes to FC Tokyo. Um yeah, I, I think we re- I think we do. After uh, Cerezo reversed their curse uh, on Saturday afternoon, thanks to a brace from the hugely impressive Hiroaki Okuno. Yeah, there was um, another kind of abject Tokyo performance. I mean, I'm trying. I'm watching Tokyo, and I'm not really sure what the idea is. What like it's kind of like when I was watching Man United with Louis Van Gaal, and he had this philosophy that nobody could ever understand what was happening or what, what was going on because yeah, just Tokyo won't pl- just. I don't. I just don't get it at the moment. I don't get it. it like, there's a lot of words that come out about how he wants to approach it, but Tokyo don't seem to be doing any of it. I mean, the players. Like, I'm looking at Abe and I'm Matsuki, and I'm expecting a bit more from them. They're not really creating too much defensively, or a little easy to get at. There are good names in there, but yeah, it's just I'm not sure about it. I don't, I, he's persisting with Otaka Nakamura. I think it's very easily get atable down that side. I mean, the two goals, one's a free kick, obviously, but the other one comes from that left side, and it seemed to be an avenue that Cerezo really took advantage of, and then changes of the front line. I mean, I know they're wanting to play young players there, but it just seems like, why wasn't this sorted out before? This should be the season that Tokyo are going on to challenge for the ACL, and it looks like you're a mid-table team that's struggling to really find their identity. I just... Yeah, I'm not really seeing it with Tokyo. And this was the season I didn't have them in my top four, but going into it, I thought, yeah, they've got a real decent chance of it. But yeah, I just can't see it from this team. I mean, it must be frustrating for you as a Tokyo supporter. Do you have any? Yeah, what do you think's going on? I, I really, yeah, would, yeah, like quite, quite like to get your opinion on it. Well, yeah, uh, there doesn't appear to be a clear direction, and um, yeah, whether it's through injuries or, or not, he, uh, yeah, I think he's struggling to to settle on a, a on a team that he can uh, rely on on a week to week basis. For me, there's too much 
chopping and changing. And um, yeah, uh, in in certain positions, I I just don't think the players are, are good enough. And um, you know, up front there has to be a more reliable avenue to goal than Diego Oliveira. I mean, he's been a terrific servant of the club, and you know, he has gotten into double figures for Tokyo before. But um, yeah, he's for me just not not uh, prolific enough that they need more in terms of uh, goal return out of, uh, out of their main striker. And uh, Oliveira obviously has his, um, his strong, uh, strong parts to his game. But um, I think for me, yeah, the, the days of him um, as someone you can rely on to, to lead the line as your main goal scorer uh, is well and truly over with. And um uh, yeah, a number of players just seem to be underperforming or they're not sure what uh, Albert wants them to do or they're not executing to, to his satisfaction. And then, yeah, the, 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 the side seems to be changed, as I said, uh, all, all too frequently. So, um, yeah, this this had to be the year that they kick on and um, eight games in, you can say it's still early doors and they're still their one win off seventh, but... Um, yeah, I mean, the, the last few weeks have been extremely frustrating and that's, uh, yeah, four without a win in the league. And I, I don't think they can really have any uh, any complaints about um, the results they've been getting in, in recent weeks. So, um, yeah, uh, unfortunately, uh, Watanabe's uh, goal of the season contender will kind of just be consigned to history. Unless, Sam, you want to make it the clubhouse leader. I mean, that would be the only positive thing from a Tokyo perspective that has come out of the last month or so uh, of this season after uh, Okuno had um, given Cerezo the lead just before the hour when he uh, poked in a uh, Ryosuke Yamanaka free kick uh, that he sent in from the left. Uh, yes, Watanabe equalised in the 68th minute when he controlled the ball from uh, from right back Otaka Nakamura on his chest and uh, swiveled to volley home from uh, waist height from the edge of the box. So uh, an absolute stunner. But um, as I said, it, it's uh, I think it's going to be quickly forgotten as uh, yeah Tokyo have slumped to another defeat here. Yeah, it's a shame it would be because it's a fantastic goal. The, the chest control is so good and it's so difficult to execute that volley from where the balls drop. But yeah, it's a wonderful uh, goal. It kind of, and I'm not, I might be misremembering this, but when I first started watching the J League, there was like they just had goal highlights that opened like the the opening credits, and there was a Sato Sato goal from a couple of years even previous to that, and it it just kind of reminded me of that. But I might be completely misremembering because this is about eight years ago. But yeah, mm. it was a really good, really good finish. The technique was magnificent, and yeah, it's a shame that it's count for nothing, counted for nothing in the end. But he's one of the kind of bright lights that. Uh, Tokyo have he's been missing for a large parts of the season already but I think he came on uh, last week and looked bright and then yeah really decent goal here so yeah get him fit and that's the case that's like the issue with him you can't really keep him fit for any length of time but yeah uh, an extended run of him then you can see that's a really good outlet towards goal because as you say uh, you're struggling to get much out of the rest of that front line Nakagawa's got what one is it maybe Mm. No, two this season. Diego's got two, but all in that one game. But yeah, there's no consistent outlet. So maybe Watanabe can prove to be that. Yeah, and obviously uh, Dalton got well into double figures last year, but he, um, yes, he struggled to make an impact uh, so far this season. So um, yeah, a lot of work to do for uh, for Albert Pucci. Uh, on improving this uh, this Tokyo team, and um, yes, they slumped to a a third league defeat 
of the season when uh, Okuno finished off his brace uh, six minutes from time. He was left to completely unmarked in the middle of the box to side foot home Satoki Wejo's uh, cutback uh, from, yeah, basically alongside the penalty spot. And um, again, in typical fashion, uh, Wejo looked very sheepish at the fact that, uh, yeah, he'd set up the uh, the winning goal, uh, people rushing over to celebrate. And um, yeah, he looked like he... Uh, wanted to be anywhere <laughs> but in a uh, in a group hug with his teammates. But uh, anyway, yeah, for Cerezo, good for them to bounce back from uh, yeah last week's disappointing display at home against Sapporo. And uh, yeah, this victory saw them move above Tokyo and up to ninth in the table. So um, yeah, perhaps this is the start of uh, a bit of a run for them. And uh, before we move off this game, Sam, just wanted to give a, a quick update to the listeners on how Shinji Kagawa has been traveling. Um, obviously, he's uh, yeah he's coming to the team basically at the expense of Weijo, which was a little bit of a disappointment, I think, to us uh, initially. But um, yeah, he's obviously one of the biggest names in, in Japanese football in the last 15, 20 years or so. So uh, him coming back to Cerezo was a headline story. How has he been adapting back to life at Cerezo and has he grown into his role as a starting 11 member in the last few weeks? Yeah, to be honest, he's been far better than I imagined he would be because I just thought I wasn't expecting much of him. His career in Europe had pretty much petered out. But yeah, last three games, he's managed three lots of 90 minutes. He's got fitness. He looks energetic. He looks like he's up for it. He's, yeah, the, the link-up play is really good. And yeah, he looks... Yeah, just much better than I ever imagined he would be coming back at 34 years of age, which is uh, really good to see. And uh, with Kiyotake coming back towards fitness, I just want to see that sort of partnership redeveloped. I mean, it was just, that was Japan before like, the 2018 World Cup in qualifying, those two linking up together. And yeah, it it fills me with some excitement that we might get to see that on the J-League stage and that Kagawa is not a complete shadow of his former self. Yeah, I've been... Yeah, really impressed with him, actually, compared to low expectations. But, yeah, he looks yeah, a decent player to still. And, yeah, uh, foot, heavily involved in generally what Cerezo do in most of the build-up. Yeah, and it just needs that. I don't think he's got a goal yet. No, he's got one goal, hasn't he? It was a kind of fortunate goal. But he hasn't really had that one necessarily performance work with uh, a couple of goals or a couple of assists or something. But it's definitely coming. He's definitely improved. And, yeah, it looks like he's fit in very well. Okay, good to hear. Although, yeah, I could have done uh, without it happening, uh, yeah, on uh, on Saturday against Tokyo. But, uh, yeah, fair dues to Cerezo and uh, to Okuno, especially, obviously, for his uh, two goals. A, uh, a very good player and, um, yeah, rightly earning the plaudits for his brace and uh, Cerezo's three points. All right, so we've got uh, two games left to review, listeners. Uh, two 1-1 draws to, uh, to wrap up. The match day eight slate. Um, yeah, we obviously mentioned the Kansai Derby uh, between Kyoto and uh, Gamba. And yeah, my pick of the weekend was the Kanagawa Derby at the Lemon Gas Stadium when uh, Shonan hosted Yokohama F Marinos. Uh, again, a game played in in driving rain and the uh, yeah, not a lot of cover at all at uh, the the ground in Hiratsuka. So the the supporters of both teams uh, got very much waterlogged. And uh, yes, they both had to settle 
for a point. Sam, uh, after this game, although, um, yeah, this was uh, pretty much a tour de force from the uh, the Shonan keeper uh, Song, uh, Song Boon Kyun, wasn't it? He was uh, by far the busier of the two shot stoppers, and um, he was finally beaten by uh, Anderson Lopez in the 65th minute. But, um, yeah, Akito Suzuki was able to equalize for uh, for Shonan with his first J1 goal inside the last 10 minutes. And, um, yeah, that was enough for uh, each team to take a point home with them. Yeah, this was a great game. It was a good pick out from you, and you were very unlucky that this wasn't like 7-6 or something because it was end-to-end. It was a fantastic game, and Song was on Song, if you will. It was fantastic. I mean, we had that confusion with him when he came back from international duty and then was on the bench, and then he didn't play in the Levain Cup. He didn't play... Uh, the previous weekend in the league, but he got, um, I mean, Daiki Tommy then got injured, so Tom was back in this this week, but it was a good job he was because he was incredible. Like Marinos had chance after chance after chance that Song was able to save. Got fortunate a couple of times. They they also hit the, the woodwork at least three times, some with crosses, some with actual strikes on goal. But yeah, Song was magnificent. He was, It took a real good effort from Anton Lopez to finally beat him, but yeah, Marinos on another day would have had five or six quite comfortably. But yeah, Keeper was yeah really on form. But uh, the other end, Shonan were good as well. They started especially especially well. Their high pressing caused a lot of problems for Marinos, who are going to take their chances and try and play through it. But at the start, yeah, Shonan were really getting on to it. They were getting a few decent chances. Ichimori, who settled down now in goal at Marinos, he made a couple of good saves. But and I think. They also hit the post on a couple of occasions. Uh, Tarek, I remember, hitting the post. So it was end-to-end stuff. There were real chances. Marinoff was the greater of them. But, yeah, even so, Shonan kept going. And I think it's hard to say they were definitely deserving of the equaliser because, really, Marinoff should have been home and hose. But they kept pressing. They got that goal. It was a tight offside call that was eventually given. And so, they just, yeah, it was, it was good play for that. And then right at the end, I mean, Ono say one, two, three, and he's going through, clear on goal and just completely drags the effort wide. I mean, he really should have scored and Shonan should have won the game. So it's one of those where both teams will come away with it thinking they should have won the game, but equally they could easily have lost it. Right, yeah, absolutely. Almost a yeah, yeah, a smash and grab at <clears throat> at home by uh, Belmare that uh, yeah, obviously a uh, uh, Vispa did a couple of times uh, earlier on in the season. But uh, yeah, I mean the the woodwork definitely got a good uh, working over uh, in this game, as you mentioned, Sam. Yeah, Marcos Junior and uh, Kota Mizanuma hitting uh, the bar and post uh, respectively in the first half. Mizanuma's with a uh, cheeky no look shot. Uh, off uh, Song's uh, left-hand post uh, that the, the ball then rolled across the face of goal and uh, to Song's relief uh, to safety. But, uh, yeah, very, very cheeky from Mizanuma uh, channeling Roberto Firmino there with a, a, a no-look effort. Uh, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately for Mizanuma, didn't uh, quite have his radar working. And then, uh, well, yeah, so, so much uh, so much to say about Song's performances. Uh, so many uh, key saves to keep it, firstly to keep it uh, to to keep it uh, level and goalless, but then even after uh, Anderson Lopez had given F Marinos the lead, as you said, Sam, there were still uh, numerous chances for F Marinos to kill the game off. But uh, yeah, Song was equal to uh, equal to almost all of them uh, that were on target anyway. And then uh, yeah, the 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 equaliser was 
very much a borderline uh, line ball and uh, one I think that the F Marino's uh, yeah, coaching staff weren't all that happy that it was allowed to stand, but uh, it did turn out to be the uh, the correct decision and uh, a huge moment for young Akito Suzuki. But uh, yeah, I want to say he has to do better in the 90th minute, doesn't he? And um, yeah, really should have sent the uh, the rain-soaked home fans at home with a with a victory but uh, yeah he was unable to hit the target and screwed across uh, the goal with with only Ichimori to beat so uh, yeah a uh, another one with a discrepancy in the shot count uh, listeners uh, between the J League and Google but you're probably getting uh, sick of me mentioning that and I do have to mention it one more time in the last game so we'll we'll move on to that uh, played down in Tosu uh, Sagan hosted Kashiwa Raisol, who uh, just like Gumbo were coming off their uh, first victory of the league season uh, last weekend. But um, yeah, uh, again, um, I don't like mentioning it, but a, a poor crowd of just over 6,400 rocked up to the real estate agent in front of the station stadium. And uh, well, Sam, I, I, I guess in a similar vein to song repelling uh, F Marinos for uh, most of the first 50 minutes of uh, this game, it appeared to me that uh, Park Ilgu was busy repelling efforts from the Kashiwa striker uh, J. Roy Grot. He was, uh, yeah, uh, was this Grot's uh, best performance so far in a Kashiwa shirt? Certainly from the highlights, he was uh, very, very heavily involved in uh, in what Racer were doing uh, from an attacking sense. Yes, certainly in the league, this was his best performance. And it was just generally Kashiwa's best attacking performance. There was actual link-up play between the players. They were actually playing with a, a speed and, a, yeah, they were playing the ball along the ground rather than just lumping it forward. And it was just, it worked really well. Grotz and uh, Osoya front with Savio and Sento in behind. And it was really fluid. They were creating chances. In the end, I thought most of the shots that Park had to save were comfortable saves. They were saves they should be making. But, yeah, they were getting a lot on target. And then in the second half, they added Douglas back from injury. I mean, who knows how long he'll last. But it was good to see him back as well. And Yukimuto and Koyamatsu as well. So you look at all those players, you think they've got to have chances to score in this team. And they've just not really shown it in previous games. But this was a more positive attacking output from them they yeah obviously want to score more than the one goal they want to come away with a victory but it was definitely a step in the right direction for them yeah fantastic and um yeah it's good to see uh i'm still not sure of the pronunciation because it just looks like grot to me as an australian but i mean yeah i mean the 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 katakana is frot right or float or something like that so (laughs) i don't know where they get it from but yeah uh so i don't know he's he's grotty to me so we'll we'll just nickname him grotty i think and uh, we'll move on and uh, yeah get on with the rest of our lives so we mentioned how busy park was keeping uh, efforts out from uh, from Grotti, but uh, yeah, there was nothing that uh, Park's opposite number Kenta Matsumoto could do about a simply stunning strike from 25 yards from uh, Yoichi Naganuma that gave uh, hosts Sagan the lead 10 minutes into the second half. But um, yeah, almost as uh, sweetly struck was a, a response from Matteo Savio in the 73rd minute that came back off Park's right-hand post. Uh, yeah, Savio's effort from 30 yards is uh, sweetly struck as a ball can be, I think. But uh, yeah, unfortunately for him, uh, yeah, as we said, hit the post and came back into play. But uh, just two minutes later, after he broke up a uh, Tosu counter-attack in his own half, Savio was then in the right place at the right time to fire race hole level after Park had saved down low 
from Yuki Muto. And, um, yeah, I'm sure Douglas got a standing ovation from you, Sam, when he came off the bench. But I think in that move, was it Douglas, uh, Tomoki Takamine, and uh, Yuki Muto all involved? So uh, three of Nelsinho's subs uh, playing uh, a role in the the equaliser and then the very impressive Savio finishing it off. Yeah, this was what I was talking about in terms of the combination that were actually playing. And it was just really good football at times. And this was a magnificent move. Started with Savio's desire to get the ball back. And then, yeah, from then on, it was really nicely worked. It was a good one-two with Douglas. Then Savio out to Takamine. First time out to Muto. Decent shot across the goalkeeper. And Savio following in to score. It was a really nicely worked goal. Obviously, the little bit of fortune towards the end. But uh, they absolutely deserve that. And, uh, yeah, just a bit more of that. And then Casuo will fancy themselves to be able to pull away. Obviously, Tosu weren't the like the biggest threats to their weak defence casual. They didn't do too much, bar this wonder goal from Naganuma. But that's kind of how Tosu are able to score. That's the only way they seem to be scoring, is if they uh, pluck something special from long distance, because they don't really look like scoring otherwise. There's not really anyone in that team that you bank on scoring. They tried Kawata up front for the first time this um it was his first start and he looked slightly more of a striker than Ugiono who has been filling in there but again I think he had a couple of efforts while slashed at them didn't really get them on target and that's going to be Tosu's problem all season there's just nobody in there that you can think of that's going to score goals or get maybe more than six seven a season it's just yeah, quite lacking there, but take nothing away from Naganuma's effort. It was a fantastic bending effort into the top corner, and it needed to be because uh, Matsumoto was coming for Kashu in the last couple of games. I think, why has he been hiding away? Why has Sasaki had so many games when Matsumoto's been there? Because he looks a very good shot stopper. He's very comfortable at claiming his crosses. He commands that defence a lot better than... Uh, Sasaki has and maybe obviously they see something in Sasaki and he's young and they think they can get something out of him but Matsumoto hidden away on the bench and I think he's been the best of the three goalkeepers I've seen this season for them yeah, all right. So uh, some positive signs then from from Reisol in the last couple of weeks. Then a, a first victory of the season against Kashima last week, and then um, yeah, an overall improved performance uh, here against Tosu. With uh, yes, as we said, some key players coming back into the squad at least for as long as they can keep the likes of of Douglas fit. And um, yeah, listeners, I'm sure you're getting tired of me mentioning the discrepancies in shot counts between different outlets, and I promise I won't do it too many times uh, in the future. Future. But um, Sam, when it's as stark as uh, eight to thirteen on the J League website versus nine to twenty-six on Google, I simply have to mention it. So, which one is a better um, time capsule of this game, eight to thirteen or nine to twenty-six? Do you think? Because for a, a um, yeah, a, a game to finish one-one, but uh, uh, Kashiwa to have had. 26 shots seems a little bit outlandish to me. But uh, again, which one is uh, closer to the truth in your eyes? Well, neither really sound right to me. I don't think Kashu had that many shots, but they certainly had plenty more than Tosu. So I'd be somewhere in between the range that given for Kashu. But yeah, I don't know who was in control of doing these numbers. I think they sound made up at this moment in time because, yeah, I don't think Kashu got anywhere near 26, as you said, but they certainly uh, outshot uh, Tosu fairly comfortably in this game so yeah I, there's no consistency we, wherever you look you could go to anyone and you get a different number I don't know I don't know it depends on whoever's definition of a shot I suppose whether you're counting blocks efforts whether you're counting 
I don't know anything. Maybe they all think that these crosses, they're like you, and they think these crosses are shots. And uh, <laughs> but, Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I have no answer for it. I know it frustrates you. It definitely uh, frustrates plenty of people. But yeah, who knows? Just, just I just roll with it. Go with whatever they say. Yeah, no, fair enough. Then. I mean, if there's, um, yeah, if somebody from our new sponsor, uh, Qualcomm, wants to get in touch and tell me that they uh, they really like me providing the shot counts for for each game, then uh, yeah, I'm happy to continue. But I, uh, yes, I do imagine it, it does get a little bit tiresome. Uh, so I promise I'll only do it on on special occasions. Maybe when the number, uh, the difference in the numbers is as stark as it is for for Racehold in this particular game. But all right then. So uh, that's uh, all nine games uh, from match day eight round it up then um all right sam i promise i won't pick about five games uh, this week i'll uh, I'll limit it to just one but as is uh, as is tradition around here i'll let you go first uh, the the match day nine slate gets going with just the two games on saturday then we have the other seven uh, all taking place on sunday so uh, i guess um well yeah and they're spaced out on saturday as well so the, the listeners could uh, could watch both uh, Hiroshima FC Tokyo and then uh, in the evening Kobe Yokohama F Marinos at their leisure and for a neutral I guess uh, Kobe Yokohama F Marinos is uh, probably the overall pick of the match day so why don't we uh, we limit it to the seven games on Sunday then uh, what is Sam's pick of Sunday Sam's pick of Sunday yeah Kobe Marinos would just be a free hit everyone should watch that it's a perfect time especially in Europe to uh, get up and watch that game so yeah from the Sunday games yeah I'm going to go with uh, Kashima again uh, away at Niigata Niigata obviously what what result they had and uh, is there ever going to be a response from Kashima are they just going to continue to go down this path to self-destruction or will they finally turn it on and start playing against a, a very good Niigata team it should be a really exciting game Niigata don't usually play out dull fixtures and uh, yeah this could be a really interesting one if Kashima lose again I mean well, I just don't know yeah I don't know how they can really cope continue with Iwamasa but I might be just saying that every week from now until the end of the season so yeah but that should be a really exciting game and I expect uh, I expect goals and I expect yeah Rio Tarito to have a field day with no Kaishu Sano protecting the back line for Kashima so yeah what else uh, catches your eye well, I think I'm actually going to cheat and I'm going to mention two games, but for, for different reasons. So for intrigue, I think Kawasaki versus Urawa um, is um, absolute gun to my head. I think that is the game that I would watch because, um, yeah, whether we're seeing this uh, Kawasaki Empire falling apart or not, and uh, whether Reds might be the team to, to really sink the boot in while they're down is is one thing. But as we spoke about with Ralph, and uh, it's completely slipped my mind, as I mentioned in part one, uh, Reds have to get ready for the ACL final. But I think in terms of a, a, a footballing event, I'm most interested in watching Cerezo versus Kashiwa. And I guess they're two slightly unfancied teams uh, on this podcast. We don't have regular correspondence for either of those clubs. But um, yes, yeah, Cerezo have, uh, have just... Um, turned up and beaten FC Tokyo, and uh, we've seen Kashiwa be uh, be much improved uh, in the last couple of weeks. So um, yes, that would be uh, a slightly under the radar pick, but I think that for uh, yeah for, for for pure footballing reasons, I think that's the game that I would be. Um, yeah, picking out. But uh, yeah, as as is uh, usual, there are fascinating games 
up and down the slake. So, um, yeah, looking forward to running the rule over uh, the, uh, the the top flight match day next week after we, I guess, we do pass the the quarter way uh, mark of the season. Yeah, it's an interesting point to look at uh, where we stand. I think at the start of the season, we thought it'd be really open. We thought there's going to be plenty of teams challenging for the top four and for the title. I think the league has lived up to that so far. It's been really exciting. There's not one team necessarily that I could pick out and say as clear favourites for it, as well as Kobe are playing. So, yeah, we're in a really good position. This looks another fascinating weekend. We could pick out two or three more of those fixtures that could be game of the weekend. So, yeah, look forward to wrapping it all up with you next week and previewing the ACL final that we definitely both remembered was happening. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. And, yeah, but trust me, I don't need any more invitation to uh, to preview other games. But, uh, yes, I'm going to knock that on the head and stick with uh, Cerezo Kashua uh, with a side order of Kawasaki versus Urawa. Okay, so that's it for uh, this week's episode of the JTalk podcast. Sam and I would like to thank Ralph Seidel very much for his time in part one of this week's episode. We'd like to thank all of our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon. If you'd like to get involved, please visit patreon.com slash jtalkpod. And listeners, we'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back next week to review J1 Match Day 9. Speak to you then. Bye for now. Qualcomm. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.